Good day to you all, and welcome to the Southview Soundbite, the podcast ministry of Southview Baptist Church in Statesville, North Carolina. I am your host, Stephen Seifert. Stay tuned, and we'll bring you a word of encouragement from the Word of God. Good afternoon, and welcome to the broadcast. Take your Bibles and go to 1 Timothy chapter number 1. We're going to begin reading in verse number 18 and then read into chapter number 2 of 1 Timothy. Uh, Anytime you do a verse-by-verse exposition of a Bible book, there's a lot of overlap, and especially when you're broadcasting like we are. So we're going to do some overlap. Uh, This, uh, just to do some quick review and what we've been looking at uh, recently, uh, we started out several weeks ago and we looked at 1 Timothy chapter number 1, verse number 1 through 11, and we talked about the right medicine for the right disease, basically a message on having correct doctrine. And then we talked about uh, in chapter number 1, verse number 12 through 16, not resting in identities, but resting in the truth. And then we talked about uh, in chapter number 1, verse number 16 through 20, we're talking about fighting the good faith in private and in public uplifts God. Uh, And so today we're beginning in chapter number one, verse number 20, and we're going to read into chapter number two and read down to verse number eight. And the topic of discussion today in this passage of scripture, as I understand it, is going to be how should believers handle oppositional people? Let me ask that again. How do believers need to handle oppositional people? I wish I could tell you that when you get saved, everything comes out the way it's supposed to come out. There's no opposition. I wish I could tell you that. You know, I was saved when I was five years old, December the 14th of 2001. But my ninth grade year of high school, I I had been struggling and wrestling with my salvation for about a year. And during that year, I wrestled and struggled about whether or not I was saved. And I, I got my assurance uh, one night at a revival service. And I'll never forget what was told to me by my youth pastor when uh, I got up from the altar. He said this. He said, Stephen, your Christian life is not going to be a bed of roses. And you know what? He was right. I have been saved since December the 14th of 2001. However, I can tell you that uh, even though I am still young, I can tell you that there are a lot of opposition that comes in the path of the believer. How do I know that? Because Jesus said there would be opposition. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, then they're going to persecute you because you're part of my flock. And so with that in mind, Knowing that there is going to be opposition that comes a believer's way, how should believers respond and handle oppositional people? This entire book is predicated off of an oppositional relationship between Paul and a group of two guys and their followers. The two guys' names were Hymenius and Alexander. I invite you to, if you are not familiar with who Hymenius and Alexander Uh, are, I highly suggest you go back in the podcast library and take a look at our podcasts uh, on those uh, previous verses. But just to summarize, 
Paul, when he writes 1 Timothy, he has been released from his Roman captivity, the first of his Roman captivities, and he goes on a tour of of uh, the Mediterranean uh, churches and including the the city church of Ephesus. When he gets there, he hears about these two guys and he sees these two guys, Hymenius and Alexander. And in verse number three and four, he talks about what they've been teaching. They've been teaching fables and endless genealogies, which men, minister questions not and not godly edifying of the faith. And so Paul kicks them out of the church. The Bible says that he delivers them unto Satan. We don't know exactly what that means, but we do know for sure it means he's kicked them out of the church. And he leaves Timothy behind because there's still a lot of messes to be cleaned up, and Paul can't stick around to clean them up. So he takes Timothy, who is uh, very much like Paul because he sat under Paul's training and teachings, and he leaves Timothy behind to handle the aftermath. And then he writes this letter as an encouraging note to Timothy on how to handle the aftermath. So this entire book of 1 Timothy is based and predicated upon handling oppositional people. Timothy is having to handle with those oppositional individuals that were following Hymenius and Alexander. So the Christian life and the Christian service is one filled with opposition. And Paul tells Timothy, there is a specific way where you need to handle opposition as a Christian. Many believers like the whole, you know, you need to blast them from the pulpit. And you know what, sometimes correction from the pulpit is necessary. But there are things that get lost in the, what I might say, translation. And I don't mean translation of the text of Scripture. What I mean is this, a lot of people hear correction from the pulpit. And they construe from that, you must have a certain attitude. And that attitude is an attitude of contention and an attitude of cantankerousness. And that's not how these issues need to be handled. And Paul is going to address the spirit in which a believer handles oppositional speak people are very, very, very important. Let's look here at verse number 20 of chapter 1 and then go into chapter number 2. Of whom is Hymenius and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. I exhort therefore. Now that word therefore means I'm connecting what has been said in previous verses to what I'm about to say. In case you don't realize this, when your Bible was written, chapter and verse divisions were not a thing. The original letters that Paul wrote did not have chapter and verse headings. They were added much later by a guy by the name of uh, uh, by a guy by the name of Stephanus. And when he translated uh, Erasmus Desiderius Erasmus's uh, Greek New Testament, when he fixed it and when he did some editing to it, he added in verse and chapter numbers. And generally speaking, he did a really good job doing so. The natural breaks in the topics are dealt with well. However, a lot of times with chapters and verses, modern Christians look at those chapter and verse headings, and we forget that sometimes these verses have to be connected. And that's what we see here in verse number one of chapter two. I exhort therefore, meaning Paul is connecting what he's just talked about in verse number 20, which is Hymenius and Alexander to what he's about to say regarding 
opposition. Paul says, hey guys, Hymenus and Alexander, I have delivered to Satan so that they may learn not to blaspheme. Therefore, for this reason, first of all, in chapter number two, verse number one, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and apostle. I speak the truth in Christ. I lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles, in faith and verity. I will, therefore, that men everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. So, there's a lot going on here in 1 Timothy chapter number 2. Paul has just reminded them about Hymenius and Alexander, who he has delivered unto Satan, who he's cast out of the church. And then he says, guys, it's for these people's sake. I encourage you to make prayers intercessions, and giving of thanks for them. Now, remember what I said a lot of Christians today, when it comes to things that need to be corrected, even if they have to be corrected forcefully from the pulpit, or need to be forcefully handled by separating or casting out, which sometimes that is necessary, we get the idea that we therefore must have a spirit of hard-heartedness. And when I say hard-heartedness, I don't mean hard-heartedness in the sense that, okay, you can be lovey-dovey and and let them stick around. No, if it's false, it's false. If it needs to be corrected, it needs to be corrected. If you need to separate them from the local congregation, you separate them from the local congregation. Understanding that, that Christ desires there to be salvation and reconciliation. That's why Paul says in other passages and everywhere else, when you have a separation, What you need to do is have a spirit of, I want to bring them back. I want to be able to teach them. I want them to have relationship. I want them to have fellowship. I want them to get saved. A lot of, especially independent Baptists, and I'm an independent Baptist by conviction, even independent Baptists will sometimes sit up and say, this needs to be corrected, and therefore I'm going to be contentious, cantankerous, I'm going to call names from the pulpit. I'm going to uh, throw things. I'm going to make myself look like a a child who's been robbed of his favorite toy. And that's not how Paul exhorts Timothy to address Hymenaeus and Alexander. These guys have been cast out of the church. But Paul encourages Timothy, the way you handle oppositional people are twofold. Number one, If it needs to be corrected, it's corrected. If they need to be uh, cast out, they need to be cast out. But then secondly, do it with a spirit of prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks. He says, Timothy, I encourage you, first of all, once that break has been made, like has happened with Hymenius and Alexander, you need to be supplicating for them. That word supplicating, we know what that means. It means to beg. And specifically in this context, beg God for these individuals. We need to be praying for them. 
intercessions. Now that word intercession in verse number one of chapter two means a means to come together to petition. So when he says prayers and intercessions, what he means is this. In the context of this passage, Paul is saying, you need to be going to God. And you need to be praying for these individuals that they come back. You need to have a spirit of, Lord, I desire them to be reconciled. I desire them to be saved. But so many Christians just look for opportunities to cast out with no reconciliation. Now, you're like, brother, you're a pastor. But what does this mean in my personal life? You know what? There are sometimes relationships that we have that we have to make the same decision. We have to make the decision to separate. But even when that happens, Christ still expects you, someone who may not be of the cloth, someone who may not be a preacher. God holds you to the same standards. God expects you to pray and give thanks for those that have been oppositional towards you. Now, giving of thanks be made for all men? You mean to tell me Paul is telling Timothy, I expect you to give thanks for Hymenius and for Alexander, two guys who have been preaching heresy? That's what the text says. Now, before your head explodes, let me explain. Paul is not saying, Timothy, you need to give thanks that these two guys were trying to subvert your congregation and pervert the gospel. That's not what he means by giving of thanks. What he means is this, Timothy, you need to be giving thanks that you have an opportunity to defend the true gospel. You, I want to put you in mind, Paul has told Timothy over and over again, he says in chapter number 1, verse number 18, he says that in chapter number 1, uh, in verse number 5, he uses a, it's uh, the English word commit. But that English word commit is the Greek word that means, I want you to, I am ordering you as a superior to an underling. I am ordering you on the battle lines, on the, on the line of battle. I am ordering you to do this, to defend the gospel, to war a good warfare. Now, he's telling him to war a good warfare which includes doing what Peter would say in 1 Peter 3.15. If you were to take your Bibles and go to 1 Peter chapter number 3, verse 15, you would find Peter telling his readers and his listeners, he would say, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be always ready to give an answer for the reason of the hope that lieth within you in meekness and in fear. That word, in meekness and in fear, to give, a, to give a reason is the word apologia. You might have heard of the, the scriptural, biblical discipline of apologetics. Someone who is an, apolog, uh, an apologist is someone who defends the faith. Paul is ordering Timothy, you need to be a fierce apologist. Be ready to give an, an answer to the reason of the hope that lieth within you. Be ready to tell Hymenius and Alexander, you were wrong because this is what the gospel says. To an increasingly Roman secular world, Paul tells Timothy, give a reason for the hope of Jesus Christ in your life. 
and defend, try to tear down their uh, their thought system and build up a biblical uh, philosophy based on the Word of God. And you notice something? Soldiers cannot be effective if they haven't had battlefield experience. Imagine Paul telling Timothy, you, I commit unto you, in verse number 18 of chapter 1, I order you to war good warfare. I command you, as Peter said, to always be ready to give an answer for the reason that lieth within you with meekness and a fear, without providing them with an opportunity to use their sword. I don't mean a physical sword, but the sword of the Word of God. Someone who never goes out and witnesses to Mormons, who believes that Jesus is Lucifer's brother, and that Jesus is the offspring of, of Elohim and one of his goddess wives. Someone who doesn't know their Bible isn't going to be able to tell them why they're wrong and why they need Jesus and why they need to go to, they need to repent. A Christian who believes that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, who witnesses to a Jehovah's Witness, who believes that Jesus is Michael the Archangel just in human form, someone who doesn't interact with those people, guess what? They're not going to be able to give the answers from the Word of God. So what Paul is telling Timothy is this. He says, I want you to be thankful that you have been given an opportunity to defend the faith. So when he says, give thanks for all men, he means have a charitable attitude towards those people because you are using the gospel and having an opportunity to defend Christ and defend the gospels. Even as the apostles would count it joy for them to be persecuted like Christ was in the early uh, passages of the book of Acts, so should modern believers count it all joy when they have the opportunity to put 1 Peter 3.15 into practice and be ready to declare the reason for the hope that lieth within them in meekness and in fear. Paul tells Timothy, give thanks for the opportunity to stand on the gospel. So how should believers handle oppositional people? Number one, you pray for them. Number two, you give thanks for the opportunity to defend your faith. And understand, Paul makes no distinction between godly kings and authorities and ungodly kings and authorities. I exhort you, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority. All, all, all. You know what all means? All means all. All doesn't mean you should give thanks and you should praise and you should praise God and you should pray or pray for godly kings, but don't pray for uh, ungodly kings. No, for all men, all that are in authority. Why? That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. Can I ask you something? How often do you thank the Lord for the authorities that God has placed in our lives? Be that your pastor, be that your governor, be that your president, do you thank God and you pray for them? 
I can tell you something. I am someone who is very skeptical of government intervention. I am someone who does not like our current administration. But do you know what? That being the case, I am still required by God to give thanks for our president. And I am required to continue and pray for him. You know what? God values authority. God values adherence to authority. And whether that authority be a magistrate or a king, or whether it be uh, a pastor that maybe you disagree with, or, or something else like that, God values authority. How do I know that? Because the Bible says that God values it. If you were to take your Bibles, and if you were to go to Matthew chapter number 9, you'd find a story about a, uh, a centurion who had a, a, uh, a servant that was like a son to him that he wanted Jesus to heal. And he comes to Jesus and he asks Jesus, hey, I have a child that needs to be healed. Will you come and heal him? And Jesus says in chapter number eight, verse number nine, uh, chapter number eight, verse number five uh, through eight, Jesus says, I will come and heal him. And after Jesus says that, the centurion answers and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof. But speak the word only and thy servant shall be healed. Why suddenly does this guy who came to Jesus and originally asked him, hey, heal my my servant. Why does he suddenly say, Jesus, I, I, I don't deserve to have you under my roof. Why is that? What changed? Verse number eight, the centurion answered and said, Lord, uh, excuse me, verse number nine, I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. I say to this man, go, and he goeth, and to another, come, and he cometh, and to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. You know what this centurion is saying? He's saying, Jesus, you're of a higher authority than I am. I cannot order you, Jesus, to come and heal my servant. I can't even request that you come into my home. Why? Because you have greater authority than I do, a Roman centurion. He submits to Christ's authority. He doesn't rescind his request, but he puts his request in such a way that he makes it clear who he is submissive to. And in reaction to this, Jesus says in verse 20, uh, excuse me, not verse number 20, uh, verse number 10, Jesus heard it. He marveled and said unto him that marveled, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not not in Israel. He looks at this man who is a Roman Gentile, and he says, man, this Gentile's got more faith and more understanding of authority than even the people of my own nation. Jesus values those that understands authority. And if you still doubt me, take your Bible and go to Romans 13. I don't have time to read it, but read Romans 13. Jesus talks about authority and Jesus talks about authority over government or our submission to government and why Christians should submit. And I encourage you to read that if you doubt me. But regardless to say this, even if you doubt Jesus's request for us to honor authority, the government, at least understand his 
Christ's request to us to follow those that are in authority over us. Because Paul says here, kings and all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable inside of God our Savior. That word good means proper and beautiful. For it is proper and beautiful and acceptable. That word acceptable, it, it means exactly what you would think. It means it is, oh, it's desirous. It's desirous. It's proper and it's desirous in the sight of God our Savior. And if Paul preached with apostolic authority from Christ, then that means that Paul's request is also Christ's request. And so we should submit and handle opposition respectfully, if for no other reason, because Christ has requested it of us. And whether you're willing to do that or not shows a lot about how you view Christ. Because look at what the next few verses say. Verse number four, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ, and I lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. What's Paul saying here? Paul is saying, hey, if you won't, if you won't, obey, or excuse me, if you won't be thankful and pray for earthly opposition, then at least do it because Christ expects it of us. You notice that word acceptable in verse number three? I want you to write this down. To be accepted is to be expected. To be accepted is to be expected. If it is acceptable to Christ, then it should also be expectable and expected of us. So as we wrap up, just a quick review. This passage, chapter number 1, verse 20, down to chapter number 2, verse 8, is talking about how believers should handle oppositional people. It includes men of spiritual perversions like Hymenius and Alexander, and again, praying for them and Praying for them and giving thanks for them doesn't mean we uh, belittle their sin and belittle their opposition, but we should be praying for them that they be converted, and we should be giving thanks that we have an opportunity to exercise 1 Peter 3.15. And then looking at the physical authorities, the governmental authorities, that would also that also might provide opposition to us, and I didn't get too far into it, but there is always the understanding that we don't, wherein we disobey government, we disobey government when government calls us to disobey God's word. When the government calls us to disobey God's word and to do something against his principle, against his law, that's where we do not, uh, that's where we stand on principle. And if that means going to the, the block, then we go to the block. Just as Paul, when they asked him to stop preaching, just as Peter did when he was asked to stop preaching, and he said, we cannot help but speak the things which we have seen and heard. That goes without saying. But we are expected to not only give thanks for our governmental authorities, but also to pray for them. Can I ask you, how much do you pray and how much are you thankful for your physical government? And if you can't bring yourself to 
because Paul tells you to or because I tell you to, then read again verse number 3 through 8. Because verse number 3 through 8 is really the reason why we should be we should be doing what verse number 1 and 2 says. Because it's good and acceptable or expected. It is expected in the sight of God our Savior. And then verse number 4 through 8 goes through all of Jesus' glories and honors, all of the reasons why we should obey Christ because of what he's done for us. Let me ask you, do you thank God for opportunities to defend the truth? Do you thank God for governmental leaders, even when they uh, are not godly? Do you pray for them like Paul requires? Do you pray for men like Hymenius and Alexander? Do you pray that they get converted and they come back to Christ? Do you do all of these things? That's what Scripture requires. He requires us to do these things. Take a look at your life and answer that question. I hope you have a great day. Think on these things. We'll see you next week. The Southview Soundbite is the podcast ministry of Southview Baptist Church in Statesville, North Carolina. Our address is 625 Wallace Springs Road, Statesville, North Carolina. And our phone number is 704-872-9554. You can visit us on the web at southviewbaptistchurch.org. Our Sunday service times are 9.30 Sunday School, 10.30 Worship, and 6.30 Evening Service. Our Wednesday night prayer service and youth class begins at 7 o'clock. We hope to see you there.